podcast one production. Jenny Cooney has been a part of Hollywood for 30 years, reporting on all the Aussie stars, from Hoags to the Hemsworths, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie and beyond. This is Aussies in Hollywood. Actress Jackie Weaver is a national treasure in Australia. She's known for her decades of theatre, TV and Aussie movies. But in 2010, she became known worldwide after she played the matriarch of a crime family in the Aussie film Animal Kingdom, and this earned Jackie her first Oscar nomination. Propelled into Hollywood, Jackie got her second Oscar nomination only two years later in Silver Lining Playbook, opposite Robert De Niro, Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. She's been living in West Hollywood ever since. We caught up recently nearby at her publicist office to talk about her favourite type of roles to act in, what it's like to find worldwide fame later in life and her upcoming stand TV series Perpetual Grace Limited with Oscar winner Ben Kingsley. Here's Jackie. I still feel pretty overwhelmed and it's been nine years now that I've been... that I've been uh, living in Los Angeles. But my... Um, since Animal Kingdom, I've, I've done 25 films and more than 50 hours of television. Wow. I can't believe it myself. Yeah, a, a journalist said the other day I'd made a handful of films. I think that's a bit more than a handful. Really? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, so I've been in 73 plays. I've done... Altogether, 53 films and wow. lots and lots of TV. But I've never been in a soap, you know. That I thought that was strange. I was looking, reading ever. up on you and I thought, wait, there's no, never a, like a cop shop or a home and away no. or a... Oh, um, maybe the home and away is a soap. Yeah. But um, a soap by definition has to be on five days a week. Mm. Um, a se- uh, Sullivan's was a series, uh, right. and so was Cop Shop. I I've been I was in Cop Shop. I was I was in Homicide several times. I was murdered several times on Homicide <laughs> as different characters, <laughs> but they were once a week yeah, TV series. Right, but right. no, and um, Wikipedia Wikipedia entry about me full of mistakes. But it said, it not only said I'd got my start in soaps, but it gave details. It said I was in the box and I was in number 96 and and it went on and on. And a young friend of mine who knows how to do these things changed it. And then someone changed it back again. And the same with a few other things about me. Like, for instance, there's one thing that I find vaguely irritating is that it says that I divorced Darren Hinch twice and married him twice. I didn't do any such thing. I, um, I mean, I'm not that stupid. <laughs> I, we only got divorced once, but we did renew our vows and I think people thought that was a second wedding that... that Anyway, who cares? Wow. Not me. I don't care. Wow. But now I, guess I, I do feel... Love, people love the idea that all the Aussies, whatever age you are, somehow you had to come from the soaps like Neighbours or yeah, something yeah, like that. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't a lot of it the, when you don't. A lot of the best, a lot of the best people did. And, and just briefly back to Wikipedia, I don't mind what they say about me, but 
so many times I've been interviewed by journalists and all their questions come from mistaken things mm. about me and I feel so sorry for the journalists, yeah. you know, because they, they think they've done some good research by looking up Wikipedia and it's not very reliable at all. <laughs> it's certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we, this is the good thing about a podcast. We get to hear everything in your own words so nobody can go back in and edit that later, right? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. So let's go back to the beginning. You, you, you grew up in Sydney, is that right? That's right. I was born in Hurstville. Mm -hmm. and uh, spent most of my childhood... We moved around a lot because my dad was still at university. He was a lawyer. And um, and there was a shortage in the early 50s of uh, housing, so they, they rented all over the place. I've lived in more than 30 suburbs in Sydney. Wow. Um, but my childhood mostly was spent in, firstly, West Cogra... Well, San Susi was the first place. Are you from Sydney? Do you know? I'm from Melbourne. Oh, I lived so in Sydney you, for a year. I'm oh, sorry, right. No. You sort of know yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and, and and then West Pimble. We moved to West Pimble when I was about nine. Okay. It's the same area that Mel Gibson comes from and yeah. that Hugh Jackman comes from. Yeah. Wow, there's really something in the water there then. There must be. <laughs> <laughs> All I wanted to do was act and that was from I was... A toddler. So tell me about that. What do you mean by when you were a toddler? You were you you were aware that you like to put on a show. Is that? I or liked, your mother told you. Like, I'm assuming. Or I like to tell stories by pretending to be other people, and I like to be people as different from myself as I possibly could be. From from the the minute I could talk, I was putting on accents and pretending I was from Italy or France or. No, I, w I must have been a very odd child. <laughs> and my parents were good about it. They just thought I was slightly eccentric. <laughs> <laughs> so do you remember your first exposure to television or film? How old um, you were and what you yeah, thought? Yeah, I first went to the movies when I was three and I think it was a double feature. Um, it was uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and Bambi, two of the most terrifying films <laughs> really? for a little girl <laughs> to see. And I've been crazy about the movies ever since. I, I, go to, I go to the movies as much as possible and I prefer to be in a cinema. I would never watch a film on, a, on my iPhone or my iPad mini. I, um, if I can't see a film at the cinema, I'll watch it on our big TV screen at home with a, with a screener. But I, I so take, like Bird Box, which was a Netflix movie, you, you watched it on your... Uh, I had oh, you to, haven't seen it, have uh, you? Well, I didn't want to see it because I don't <laughs> like being frightened. But um, oh, my, Jackie, you made me watch it because I was interviewing you. <laughs> I'm still upset about that. Is it, isn't it scary? Oh, my god! It's very well made, yeah. terrifically well made. Suzanne oh, yeah. Beer, and she's a, she's one, a great director. wonderful director. And Sandra Bullock's fabulous. Everything Sandra does is good. And I'm nuts about Sarah Paulson. I love oh, her. Oh, me too. And she's only... I won't give it away because a lot of people might not have seen it. Mind you, I think everyone in the I world... I think by now it's OK to yeah. do plot spoilers. Yeah. It's been yes. five months. <laughs> <laughs> but I did see it because my manager forced me to go to the opening night. And But I did spend a lot of time with my eyes shut. But I had fun making it. It's funny that, isn't it? I've done a few sort of scary films mm. um, and... Uh, 
and I have fun doing them because I'm when it comes to fake blood I'm a bit like a 15 year old boy I just I, I love wearing um you know squibs and I've been shot in the stomach by John Cusack I've been <laughs> that lovely Nikolai Costa Waldau from uh, Game Thanks of Thrones he I was his mother in something called small crimes in Montreal and I got shot in the neck and there was blood all over the floor I loved it and um, and um yeah I've, uh, and of course in bird box that, that was good fun doing all that bleeding stuff <laughs> I'm a bit of a sicko eh? that's um, great well that's what you want to do you want to if you want to act you want to really you know go into that other world yeah well I I'm I made a film last year called grudge which is pretty scary I won't be watching that one nobody's going to make me watch that but gee I think it's going to be good for people who get their thrills out of being scared I think they're going to love grudge it's um coming out this year I'm not sure I think I think so Mm. I think so yeah I I way back I did a film film called Haunt in in Utah and uh I never saw that, but I did enjoy. There was a bit where I cut a young woman's throat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe you are a sicko. <laughs> There's one thing for people when they're young and they remember seeing movies or watching TV, but it's another thing to realise it's an actual job and maybe one day you could have that job. Yeah. Do you remember at what point you it, it became... That for you? Yeah, well, my parents used to take me to pantomimes at the Tivoli Theatre, you know. They had very big, lavish productions. And they started... My grandfather, who was English, and, you know, pantomime's such an English mm. tradition, and they used to take me to um, to see pantomimes. I think they were the first things I saw on stage. And I realised there were people pretending way back. And I saw there was a legendary... They used to have women playing the hero, the principal boy. Mm. And um, I know it sounds really odd. Um, well, not so much now. I guess Peter Pan was gen- played by a girl. I've played Peter Pan. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I flew through the air, the independent mm. theatre. Um, I love that play. But uh, I, was, I must have been about six, five or six. Oh, probably five, you know. And it was Jenny Howard. She was just wonderful. She she had these fabulous legs and she was tiny and full of vim and vigour and she played the principal boy and it was Robin Hood and she was Robin. And she was in green satin with these green satin boots and she was a knockout. And, um, and I thought, I want to do that. I could do that, I thought. And... Uh, and my first um, professional job, from then on, my parents used to send me to children's theatre groups and elocution lessons and, and I got involved in a few uh, amateur shows when I was very young. But my first professional job, I was Cinderella in a, in, in, on stage in a big professional production. In Sydney? In Sydney, yeah. And, um, How old were you? I was 15. So, and that was 1962. And in a couple of weeks, I'll be 72. So that's 57 years. Wow. I've been getting paid to make a dickhead of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was the moment. And then something nice happened many years later when I was in my 40s. um, Maggie Blinko, the actress, she said, 
I've got something I think you'd like and you can have. And it was the green satin boots that Jenny Howard wore when she played Robin Hood. So I, I, I've still got those, but they're a bit worse for wear. My dog chewed them. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So that was... That, How cool. Yeah. Wow. Were you doing um, school productions as well? Do they have them at your school? Um, they'd never let me be... I always wanted to be the boy or the tough girl, but I was so little and I always had such a baby face. I remember being heartbroken when they didn't want me to... I wanted to be, um, you, you know, in The Taming of the Shrew. I want to be Katerina, you know, who's got a lot of... Because I've been a feminist since I was could talk because my mother was such a feminist. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to be the tough girl, but they made me be Bianca, that milk soppy one, um, <laughs> because, you, you, you know, your physical statement goes against you when you're young. I was still playing children in my 30s. I used to get so frustrated. Well, see, you're only just hitting your stride now and you're getting to play I'm some of those <laughs> You know, Animal Kingdom yeah. was pretty... <laughs> I'm getting paid back now. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd read that you were actually offered a scholarship to university and turned I was it down. Gonna do, right? I was going to do social work at university, but um, I got offered a TV series shot in the outback all on film and rather than, you know, videotape. And, and it was directed by Ken Hannam, who went on to direct some really good stuff. He directed Sunday Too Far Away, a great legendary oh, yeah. Australian film. And, um, and it was such a great opportunity that my parents um, said, OK, you can do the series and, and go. It was called Wanjina. And oh, that was the indigenous. Um, yeah, yeah, and it was right. set set in the outback, Cooper's Creek, and I said I'll go to university next year, and I never did. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good that they were so supportive and didn't force you. I think it was a foregone conclusion that that's what I'd do for a living. They mm. didn't. They weren't. She was never a stage mother, and not, neither was my father. But they just kind of thought this was inevitable, really. And so you didn't. You didn't apply to go to... The drama schools were around there, NIDA? Yeah, or? NIDA was there. I'm a contemporary of Helen Morse and Kiralee Nolan and Jeannie Drynan and um, Kate Fitzpatrick. We're all much of the same age. And um, and I, uh, I was already doing plays at the Old Tote Theatre, which was next to, to NIDA. And I didn't even apply for NIDA. I was... A bit scared I wouldn't get in after I was already I already had a career and I had a bit of a reputation already, and wow. I thought wouldn't it be terrible if I didn't get in? I'd already done a lot of classes um, at the Independent Theatre in North Sydney and private lessons and things, so I I never wanted for tuition, but I didn't go to NIDA. But what they used to do in those days. Um, the NIDA students used to understudy us and we I was doing a lot of plays at the Old Tote Theatre and they'd get the NIDA students to understudy us, which was a funny, <laughs> funny thing. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so you you, did, you ended up in the beginning of your career doing a lot of theatre. That was where... Oh, was yes. that Was that by choice or...? Yeah, I was crazy about the theatre. I always had been since I... 
since I was a little girl and I I was in heaven, yeah. You like and just I being able to get up doing, and act every night and yeah, see what happened that eight night. shows a week. And I was doing, you know, I was doing George Bernard Shaw and, you know, classics, Moliere and Pinero and, and uh, Noel Coward and, yeah. And Chekhov and all those guys. Yeah, I was getting plenty of... Plenty of serious work to do. But I did, you know, I did the odd television. Like I said, I got murdered a few times on Homicide, <laughs> Division 4. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think um, the classic movie Stork was the first breakthrough yeah. film role for you, wasn't it? In yeah. In 71 and you got nominated for an AFI award for that. I won it. You won the <laughs> AFI award. I stand corrected. First nomination and you won. Yeah. Wow. Um, what, it, what are your memories of that time? Actually, in those film? days, Hoyts used to give you $500 as well as a trophy. Wow. They should bring that back. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, what, what, was what were your memories of um, that film and that time? Oh, right. well, I remember it very clearly. I was very fond of Tim Burstall. He was a terrific chap. And, um, and Dave Bilcock, the editor, and, and Rob Copping, the cinematographer. And it was great fun to do, and Bruce Spence was adorable. It was made on a shoestring, and it was probably, it was probably the, the breakthrough film of that renaissance mm. of Australian movies, because it was 71. Yeah. And I had just had a baby. I got off it. I was in, I was in the hospital, the sanitarium at Warunga, um, the Adventist hospital, and I just had my baby and I was sitting up in bed with the baby and I got a phone call saying, Tim Burstall wants you um, for this film called Stork, written by David Williamson. And um, I said, I'd love to do it, but they want to start shooting in six weeks. So they provided a nanny for the baby. I took the baby to Melbourne and um, and it was great fun. Well, that's ironic that it was called Stork. <laughs> you just it, had a baby. It is funny, isn't it? <laughs> Named after uh, Bruce Spence was the character called Stork, which was sort of based on David Williamson's own experiences. And David Williamson's six feet eight and Bruce Spence is six feet seven. So it was... <laughs> And there's a lot of humour out of the difference in heights because I'm <laughs> under five feet, which is about 149 centimetres, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Did you feel when you won that AFI award that it, it meant something to you? or? Oh, I was thrilled. Awards are great. I love getting them. But I never feel... But that's a kind of bonus. Yeah, That's right. the icing on the cake. It's the, you know... It's you don't weather. need that for the validation. You're, you, Not it's really. It's just nice occasionally to have... Oh, it's great to have... have well, we'll get to the Oscars later, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, I mean, you won a second... Did you win or you got nominated for a caddy? I won it. Oh, OK. <laughs> See, I just didn't want to say win in case I was wrong. Worse than Wikipedia, I am. No, that's fine. I don't mind. So that was that was a second AFI award for Caddy. Yeah, yeah. That was only what five years. I think later? I've got six AFI awards. Oh, no, well, we haven't got to the rest yet. But um, that was with the beautiful Helen Morse. I love her. She's still one of my very, very favourite 
Australian actresses. She could have had a huge career in America, but she chose to stay working in the theatre. She's still doing great work. But mm. She's fabulous, I think. Well, there were a lot people like Mel, some of those people from movies of that time, they ended up coming to America and doing pretty well. Mm. Did you come over here at any point that no, back never. then? Or, really? No, never had Did it. anyone suggest it or you didn't want to or you didn't? Sometimes people would ask why I hadn't um, journalists as well as friends and strangers would ask why I didn't go to America. And I always used to quite honestly say I'm happy with what I've got here. And I didn't want to start all over again in America and slog away and people and get rejections all the time when I had a really um, prosperous career in Australia. It was much as I loved American films and, um, and America. I love America. I just, uh, it wasn't on my agenda, you know. Do you remember the first time you came here and whether you had any of that sort of excitement about actually being in Hollywood? No, I never, I never fancied Los Angeles. I, I started going... Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I started going to New York. Um, well, you'd know, most of the films aren't made here anymore. It's pretty sad. We, yeah. I go all over America but hardly ever anything gets made here but um I started going regularly to America in 1972 but it was only to go to New York and see theatre mm. I used to go for about a month and see as much theatre as I could my best was I saw 30 shows in three weeks on <gasps> one visit because wow. you can do seven nights and three and matinees. matinees yeah wow. And, uh, and that's all I cared about. And I used to be such a snob about Los Angeles. I used to think, oh, I'm not interested in going there. Much as I love films and American films, I don't want to... I'm not interested in Los Angeles. All the clichés about... And I always thought New York was the best city in the world. I still do, I think. But now, after nine years, I really love Los Angeles. I think it's a wonderful city. I love it. I love California. Mm. I love California Chardonnay. It's the best in the world. It tastes like the sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> so then, um, of course, Animal Kingdom in the movie world was the film that um, everybody in America finally really got to know you because of. Can you talk about the journey leading up to that movie, how you got involved, and did you know while you were making it that this could be a game changer for you? See, I think every film I I do is going to be terrific. Not a game changer, but I go into everything thinking, this is going to be great. Um, and I'm never sure until... And I've been in things that didn't do that well that I thought were fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, no, what do they say? Nobody sets out to make a bad movie. No, true. Although I don't know about The Room. Um, but anyway... <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm sure what you say is oh, true that's about right. that and too. And you worked with James Franco on the... Um... On Disaster Artist. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but going back to Animal Kingdom, um, David Michaud uh, sent me a script ten years before we started shooting. No. And that's how long it took him to get it up. And he said, I don't want anyone to play it but you. If you don't play it, and nobody's ever said that to me, if you don't play it, I, I'm not going to make it. And I thought, 
well, I'm definitely going to do it. And when he finally got the money, I thought, oh, maybe he doesn't want me anymore. Maybe I'm too old. Um, he said, yeah, of course I, I still want you. And somebody at my agency in Sydney actually said, you don't want to do this, do you? <laughs> Can you believe it? It's true. <laughs> I said, yeah, I do. I think it's a great script and I think, you know, it's a great story. Um, the script had changed considerably from from the first draft, but that's part of the course. That always happens. Um, and then when we were making it, I thought I loved making it. I thought everyone in it was so good. Ben Mendelsohn, what a genius actor. And Guy Pearce, isn't he a doll? Well, I love so Guy many Pierce. people in that movie ended up coming over here just mm. on that film too. The guy was already quite a oh, deal. Oh, yeah, he yeah. was. But Joel, um, Edgerton. Yeah, and oh, yes, all of those yeah. chaps are wonderful. Um, Anthony Hayes was in it and he he came all the way from London to do his bit and ended up on the cutting room floor even though he was brilliant. Because, <laughs> but that happens with a yeah. lot of films, you know, really yeah. good performances. If something about the story and the pace doesn't work, they they uh, end up getting cut. But um, I thought the film was going to be good and I loved working on it, but it wasn't until the first cruise screening in Melbourne and I thought, you weren't at that, were you? The cast and no. crew screening? It was a knockout and we all thought, gee, we've made something really special. And the audience was gobsmacked and... Um, and then it just steamrolled after that. And Sundance Festival picked it up and it won the jury prize and then um, and then Sony Classics uh, bought it. And then um, I won a whole lot of awards. I think I won about nine and I was nominated for a whole lot of others all around America. Um, and, then, uh, and then the Oscar thing happened. So wow. that was that was pretty incredible. So did you go to Sundance? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Was that your first experience? We had to pay our own way because we were so broke. Oh. Was yeah. that your first experience going to America with a film? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was. It really was. Wow. And it was Animal Kingdom and Sundance. Yeah. What do you remember about that? I remember um, a lot of snow. Trudging around in the snow, I didn't see any of the screenings. I remember the uh, the publicity junket was pretty grueling. It was really hard work, not as hard as Toronto. But I was telling someone just recently the most I did on this Friday just gone. I did for the junket. I did forty one interviews, but the most I've ever done in one day. I mean, I'm not special. Most actors go through this. But the most I've ever done in one day was at Toronto Film Festival and I did 68. And that was... No. For, really? And that was for a film that... Yeah, truly. Because, you know, so on that yeah. junket, some people get three minutes and, yeah, and it's like a production like, line. Yeah, yeah a goes, sausage factory, yeah. you call it. <laughs> and it, you, you, go, you, you go almost catatonic. It's really strange. There's so much coming up for you yeah. this year and the, and the series um, that Stan in Australia has. Oh, yes, um, Perpetual Grace Limited. It was yeah. originally It was called... Our Lady and I got, yeah. Yeah, um, I think the network changed the name from Our Lady of Perpetual Grace Limited because 
they thought it sounded too much like a religious program and pe- <laughs> So, so they now it's Perpetual it. Grace Limited. Yes. With yes. you and Ben Kingsley. Wow. And Jimmy. And Jimmy um, Simpson, Simpson from Westworld. Yeah. And Damon Harriman. Yes, that's right. From Australia. Wonderful Damon Harriman, who's just played Charles Manson twice. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's really. He's well, really we have good. him coming up on the podcast too. So. All right. Yeah. He was excited working with you, finally. So, <laughs> But let's go back to Animal Kingdom. You went to Sundance, you had that whole experience. Yeah. And then it just I always caught say fire, right? It I mean, did it catch just... fire. I mean, it was still a little indie film, art film, that wasn't seen on the big circuits. So um, not a lot of people saw it. Uh, you had to be a real film buff to see it, I think. It didn't get a huge release. But still enough for me to get all that attention. And uh, I always say that Michael Barker and Tom Bernard from Sony, Sony Classics changed my life, really. It was them buying the movie and and then uh, and then the Oscar. That was... So tell me about the morning of the Oscar nomination. Um, well, uh, I, I was in the Beverly Wilshire. They put me up for the... For all the other awards and things, including the Golden Globes, yeah. and um, and I was trying to stay awake for the five o'clock uh, announcement, but I fell asleep. So um, my phone rang and it had already been announced, and it was Darren Hinch who told me, "You've got a nomination." So he told me the first <laughs> one, but the second time, the I'd, silver lining playbook. Yeah, I. I saw it on the TV and I wasn't expecting it because I didn't get any other um, any other awards the same way that I did right, for Animal yeah. Kingdom. So I just wasn't expecting it and and didn't mind really. And I just watched it to see if my good friends uh, Jennifer Lawrence and and uh, Bradley Cooper and Robert De Niro see if they got nominated. And sure enough, they got nominated and so did I. And I just ran around the room screaming expletives. <laughs> I was so overwhelmed because I knew this time my life would really change. Because, mm. you know, like an old journo said to me, your second Oscar nomination proves the first one wasn't a fluke. <laughs> but at this point, at that point in your life, surely you knew it was you were beyond a fluke. <laughs> Well, you know, it, Oscar nominations can be yeah. a bit of a fluke. They can be a you know a flash in the pan. Yeah. Um, but this was fantastic. An interesting bit of trivia that that was the first time in thirty years that all four um, acting categories were in the same film, nominated in the same film. The previous time that happened was Reds, the Warren Beatty film. Mm. So. Wow. Uh, at, Jack Nicholson and Warren Beatty and Annette Bening and um, Diane, Diane Keaton. They all got nominated for Reds. Well, that was an amazing experience because you look at the cast in that movie with you and the first one, Animal Kingdom, you're all kind of unknown and it was coming into it in a different way. When you were nominated for Silver Lining Playbook, there you are with Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence and Robert De Niro. I mean, yeah. it must have felt... Well, Jen was still pretty, you know... She was still... She was... Because I did the first Oscar circuit with her for Winter's Bone mm. and she was still um, very new. And uh, so I got to know her on that circuit a bit because, you know, you 
cross paths a lot when you're doing the same campaigns same same time so yeah but um Bradley, what about him directing Star is Born as well as acting yeah. in it? I thought that was such a feat. Amazing. He deserved enormous praise. Yeah. Oh, he's a lovely chap. I love him. And how was De Niro? Oh, just a god. He's wonderful. He's well, you, might have, you must have seen him on stage at some point over all the years you were in New York, did you? I never saw him on stage, no. But, but you knew... Seen all his films. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um... I noticed you did a smaller role, I think, a year later in Stoker with Nicole oh, yeah. Kidman and Mia Fosakoska, which is funny that you were in the middle of, I don't know, where were you in, somewhere in Tennessee or somewhere? Yeah, we were in uh, Nashville. Yeah. Yes. With, with two other Aussies, just coincidentally. Isn't that funny? And all being American. And Matthew Good had to strangle me in the phone box. And, <laughs> and we, and director, um, uh, Park. Oh, the, the Korean yeah, director, yeah. Director Park had a translator all the time and he was such a gentleman and he would politely give the directions. And when and the translator came over to me, we'd done a couple of takes of the strangle scene and he said, Director Park would like you to make the sound of an orgasm when you are being strangled. <laughs> the camera crew thought that was hilarious so I obliged and they said now we know what you do <laughs> isn't that funny that's great <laughs> did you know um I mean coming out of the animal kingdom and com coming from all those Australian productions you must have known a lot of the Aussie actors who've come over here I mean, I don't know if... Did you know Nicole? Did you know Mia? I mean, how soon did you sort of get connected no, with that? No, I didn't know those two. No, I, 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 of course, knew who Nicole was and I'd met her back in the 80s when she was just starting to take off, or 90s, whenever. Um, I remember um, Ben Mendelsohn when he was 14. I, I've actually known him that long. Wow. He's about my son's age, a bit older than my son. Um, so I've always had a really maternal thing about Ben. And I remember I remember Nicole coming to a party once in Bondi and she was about 15 and she'd already done, I think she'd already done BMX Bandits and she was terrific and such a lovely girl. And I said to my husband, see that girl, I think she's going to be a big star. I feel really proud of myself for knowing that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Did you uh, ever tell her that later? I did, but I th I'm sure a lot of people tell her that. <laughs> <laughs> She's such a sweet girl too. She's very kind. Yeah. Mm. Did, you, um, did you have fun working with Woody Allen? You did Magic in the Moonlight? Yeah. Well, he is a genius filmmaker. He was, I had a great time. Yeah. I really enjoyed that, especially as we shot it too in the south of France and French film crews insist on a two-hour lunch break and they, there's wine served with lunch. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't do that in Australia. Nobody would go back for the, <laughs> the afternoon. You're right. <laughs> well, that's not true, actually. Film crews in Australia are very, very good. They're well, they're very, very hard-working, but oh, yeah. Yeah. who knows Obviously. if you gave them two hours worth of beer... Yeah, <laughs> I think I'd be the same. <laughs> the performances would be hard to keep track of, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, I think From the morning so. to the afternoon. I get sleepy with daytime wine. I need a little nap. 
<laughs> like, like the Spanish and the Italians, they have a siesta. Yes, it's a good idea. <laughs> Did you have a bucket list of things you wanted to do here, people you wanted to work with, filmmakers, actors? Well, I, I, love, I love fancy directors, you know. I'd love to work with Quentin Tarantino. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I love to... I love, I well, love Martin. You heard here first. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. He's, he knows me and he's always lovely to me and tells me he likes my work. Oh, that's good. Um, well, look, I, he hired Margot Robbie, so... Yeah, there you go. I really, I really like... I've always loved Martin Scorsese. That would be heaven. I don't think that'll ever happen. Um, yeah, there are, there are quite, a, quite a lot that I admire. And if I ever get to work for them, I'll be really thrilled. But it's not as though I'm... I still get offered so much interesting stuff that I'm not hankering... So that, that's what I find amazing, that, that you could sort of have your so-called Hollywood break later in your career. At 63. Okay, you said it. I didn't want to... <laughs> no, I don't, I, and, and, I but don't yet, mind being but 72. But it feels like you're getting some of the best roles of your life. And Well, you see, that would be to overlook quite a distinguished a of, stage career. I yeah. did... I did do some... Unfortunately, we'll never get to revisit those performances. That's the like, sad that's thing. That's the sad thing, yeah. Ephemeral, they disappear yeah. in, into the ether instead yeah. of onto celluloid. So we can only go by everything we've seen on screen. Which, yeah. You know, a, a lot more of it seems to be now from, from over here because it's sort of been the focus. Do you miss the stage? Uh, not really. I've been offered a lot of stage work since I came over here. And some of it's been very tempting. But doing eight shows a week for... And my, my manager here and my agent, they all say, we don't want you out of the loop for six months going back to Australia to do a stage play. Um, and my feeling is as long as I'm getting film work here, I'd rather do that. Yeah. 73 plays is quite a lot. I yeah. Sh- I you should don't be have anything satisfied. To... <laughs> I should be satisfied with that. <laughs> well, you have um, uh, your new film, Poms, with Diane Keaton, which yeah. is just so precious. I loved it. Oh, just good. Just the, the whole dynamic of these yeah. wonderfully inspiring so-called senior citizens in a retirement community uh, forming a cheer- cheerleading squad yeah um and i think i've I've seen it twice now i think it's quite beautiful i think zara hayes has done a fantastic job because it's there's more to it than just a a silly comedy about old girls being cheerleaders i think it's got a lot to say about female empowerment about uh, friendship and love and uh, and yeah, I think there's, it's got substance. And ageism, sort of. Well, a, yeah, ageism. The whole the high and schoolers <laughs> thinking they can't learn anything. Yeah, from the... and staying relevant after a certain age. And, yeah. Yeah, I think. And my husband, who's a stern critic, he laughed a lot at it and he shed a few tears. So, and, yeah. and a lot of the men I know who've seen it said that it made them tear up a bit because it's a... It's my favourite kind of films are the ones that make you laugh and make you cry as well because that's the that's a true reflection of how life goes. Yeah. 
know. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think it's wonderful that you can feel, you know, that's why we go to the movies. Yeah, to be moved in your head, in your heart and in your visceral tummy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you did that one and then, and working with Diane Keaton must have been great. Oh, she's adorable. She so really you went, is. we had Woody Allen at one point and then Diane Keaton. Yes, I mean, isn't that funny? Crossing over with all kinds of amazing people, right? Yeah, I've been so lucky. And I've, put, and I've worked all over the world. I've made films in Budapest and Berlin and... Um, Montreal and uh, yeah I've been all over the place in several states you know we shot Poms in Atlanta Georgia we shot Out of Blue down in um, that's the Carol Morley film we shot that down in New Orleans what a great place New Orleans is Mm. Um, yeah so I've seen a lot more of America than I than I ever dreamed I would wow yeah. So um, talk a bit more about Perpetual Grace. It's a series. It's yeah. on stand in Australia. And, and it starts on June the 2nd mm-hmm. and there are hour-long episodes and I think there will be, there will be uh, one released every week um, from June the 2nd, 10 episodes. And you shot that in New Mexico, right? We did in Santa Fe. We were there for five months in the winter. It's freezing cold, freezing cold. A lot of the stuff we were actually shooting while the snow was coming down. I remember you and I were collaborating on a print story and you were texting me in the middle of the night in below zero, yeah. freezing. Getting up sometimes at 3.30. But Steve Conrad... And they think it's so glamorous, don't they? Oh, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't... I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Steve Conrad, what a brilliant man he is. Um, yeah, and it was great working with Ben Kingsley. He's, he's everything that he's cracked up to be. He's extraordinary. We play husband and wife and we're kind of a bit dodgy. Actually, the film, everyone in the film is a bit of a scoundrel, but Steve wants you to still like everyone in the film. There's a lot of eccentrics, a lot of really odd people. I thought it had a little bit of a Fargo feel to it. In that yeah. It was very quirky and yeah. kind of could be violent, but you're not quite sure what's coming around the corner, right? Yeah, it's full of, full of unexpected turns of events and uh, great dialogue. I love his dialogue. It's the kind of dialogue you read it and you can't wait to say it. <laughs> We were talking before about um, Poms having something to say about ageism and I'm wondering, you've been through so many different eras in Australia and here with the industry and people talking about Time's Up and Me Too and and also ageism, which was, you know, there was a lot of women who say that their career stopped when they turned a certain age. I mean, it's been the opposite for you, but did you struggle in any of those areas in your career? Um, Not with ageism, I mean... I do think it's a it's a bad thing. It's prevalent in our society because we, for the past few decades, it's been a total use worshiping culture, and um, and some cultures revere their elderly. You know, especially some Asian cultures, uh, they keep them living with them until they're. 98 years old and they have them on a pedestal and they defer to them. It doesn't happen so much in our culture. 
My mother used to say, old people are the same as young people, they just got there earlier, <laughs> which I think is pretty good. <laughs> a, lot of my, a lot of my friends are in their 20s and 30s and we get along fine. It's, um, yeah. Yeah, I think, no, I think most people don't... I mean, the older I've gotten, the more I've realised that you don't actually change on the inside at all. No. Just suddenly you, you just look like an old lady. You just looking in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But have you ever, have you experienced the, um, Teresa Palmer's husband, Mark Webber, just posted a tweet this morning that he was just recast out of a network show because they told him he wasn't handsome enough. So they were talking about the industry truths and the way Hollywood can be so brutal to people. I mean, it sounds like you I wouldn't want to be in a show where the producers thought like that. How stupid. Yeah, but, but you, you came in on a high with something that was so great that everybody wanted to work with you after that. So that yeah, must, that must my be nice. Yeah, my not... position's kind of unusual. It's hard to generalise from my point of view because what happened to me... It, is kind of unusual. In fact, I can't think of it happening to anybody else. <laughs> the incredible luck that I've had. Yeah. Because a lot of it's luck, you know. There are really good people out there who just never seem to get a break. And yeah. But, you know, you were in your 60s when you got this break. Yeah. I mean, you would, but you had done very well in Australia. We all know you're considered a national treasure back home. Um, and, you know, I think... And a gay icon, don't forget that. <laughs> <laughs> Is the that small, why you live in West Hollywood? <laughs> the smallest fag hag in the world. That's what my gay friends call me. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. You, that's why you live in West Hollywood, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, my mother always said the only straight... I only knew four straight men and it was my father, my brother, my son and my husband. <laughs> Which is fine by me. I think the one question that I love to ask everybody in the podcast is is everybody has a theory about why so many Australians, and it's such a small country comparatively speaking, have had so many people in the arts come to Hollywood. It's and, great, isn't it? And make it really big, not just actors but mm. cinematographers and filmmakers yeah, and yeah. sound editors and everything. And it's I great, wonder, isn't do it? You, do you have any theories? Do I have a theory? Um, I think in the case of actors, I think we have to diversify a lot because the industry is so much smaller. And I think most of us are theatre trained and... Um, but also, you know, it's great training, soap opera training, having to learn so much dialogue and be camera ready as soon as you hit the studio is very good discipline. And I... and. And they love that in America, if you arrive on set and you're completely prepared. Because not all actors are. Some no. actors come on set not knowing their lines and being a bit sort of offhand. Most of us can do American accents because we've been listening to American <laughs> um, television and all our lives. <laughs> I grew up on Mickey Mouse Club. My son grew up on Sesame Street. And now my grandkids are growing up watching Dora the Explorer. So... 
So we, we kind of hear, we're saturated with the sound of American voices from a very early age. And you do have to have an ear to a degree, but um, yeah. if you've got an ear and you've been bombarded with that all your life, happily, um, you can you probably usually do it. And I also I've played a lot of Americans on stage. And yet you've still got very strong Aussie. Yeah, I still sound like an Aussie. I mean... Do um, people over here all know that you're Australian when they meet no, you? No, I'm always meeting Americans who are really shocked at, to hear me speak because they <laughs> expect... Because all the characters I've played here on film have been American except for one, Emily Blunt's mother. Um, oh, in the five-year engagement. Five yeah. yeah. In fact, um, I've heard a few stories about people arguing about... Um, <laughs> somebody... Went, I heard of someone saying, of, of course she's American. I know for a fact she's American, which I, I was tickled pink. I was really flattered and thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> you got to work last year with Steve McQueen in, in Widows. Oh, with I love him. Cast. I and, love him, yeah. And, um, and funny enough, playing Elizabeth Tabicki's mum. Yes, how about um, that? And she's six feet three. They couldn't get us in the same shot unless she was sitting down. <laughs> she is a beautiful but actress. That was an amazing Such ensemble a great cast. Actress. That must have been a really cool, empowering, female-driven sort of experience. Pretty right? good, yeah. Yeah, I like that film. Steve is wonderful. He runs a silent set. Nobody talks above a whisper on the set. It's fantastic for really? the actors. Yeah. It's, it's the first time I've ever encountered it. A few people do that apparently, but he's the only one I've. And it's wonderful when you're trying to sort of focus and concentrate on on your acting to have no yelling around you. Do you? I'm, I'm sure you've had every kind of director, but it, yeah. What kind? I mean, what are the ones that work best for you? I try to keep an open mind. I honestly haven't worked with a director I didn't like here in America. Oh, that's good. Yeah, they've all been fantastic, and they all differ. Just the actors that they you differ won't tell enormously. Me who they are. No, I won't. I might tell you one day when we're having a drink. Okay. <laughs> but I'm not going to say it publicly. <laughs> but it's amazing that you're working as hard as you are. I mean, you. I it can't is. even keep track of. You know, yeah. you went back to Australia and I didn't even remember you'd done that movie, but then before that you did Bloom, the TV show with Brian Brown and Stevie right. Tonkin. Yeah. And then you did Secret City, which won a Logie and the second season with Anna Torv and Yeah. So and that's all going on back there while you're while you're doing all these yeah. big movies and five months shooting, you know, in New Mexico. So yeah. what what keeps you sort of fit and ready to go? Sometimes I get a bit tired. Um, it's the work. I like the work so much that, you know, energy begets energy, they say. Mm. And I think that's what happens. You get so stimulated with the work. You... And like I said, with Steve Conrad's dialogue in Perpetual Grace, every new script we would get so excited to get a new script and as soon as I saw the dialogue he had written for me, I couldn't wait to say it. <laughs> Well, when I talked to Damien Herriman for the podcast, he said that 
He'd never worked with you before, but he met you when he was 10 years old. Is that right? He was a bit of a stalker. He was a stage door Johnny. I hope he hears this. <laughs> no, he, he, was, he was a child actor. You know, he was in Sullivan's. He started even yeah. younger than I did. And he came to see me in that musical that I did for nearly 600 performances. They're playing our song and he came to see that and he came round backstage and there's a lovely picture of us together. Do you remember that? No, I don't. But you've seen the picture. But I saw the picture, yeah. Yeah, I saw the picture. It was very, very it, cute. Isn't it sweet? <laughs> they, I think they used it as props dressing on, um, on Perpetual Grace because I'm his mother in Perpetual Grace. Oh, right. Oh, that's great. So we'll have to look out for that in the show. I think so. The photo's somewhere there. there of you two. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, the, the other thing I love is that sometimes I see a movie and I don't even know that you're in it until... That's I'm good, isn't it? ...watching I love the movie. Yeah. Like it happened um, with The Disaster Artist. Oh, right. Um, I had somehow missed the casting announcement and I was watching the movie and I was like, whoa, wait a second, like... I love the bit at the end with the credits and we're both doing the same scene, the cast from the room and, and our cast, oh, yeah. and we're trying to make it exactly the same. <laughs> we, we watched and watched it so we could get it right. Um, and you obviously got along well with James Franco because you did another movie with him after that, right? Uh, yeah, Zeroville. Actually, was Zeroville before... Disaster artist or after, I can't remember. But um, I'm dying for Zeroville to come out. I think it'll be really interesting. I love James, I think he's great. He said to me, I want you to do this film and here's a DVD of the worst film ever made called The Room. And I said, oh, okay. So I took it home and I said to my husband, Sean, tonight we're gonna watch the worst film ever made. And Sean said, I don't believe that. I've seen some pretty bad films in my day. I can't believe it's the worst <laughs> film ever made. Anyway, we watched it and he said, that's the worst film that's ever <laughs> been made. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Well, I guess there's some fame in making the worst movie ever because he's quite... Um... And it's become a cult. Yes. Mm. And it sounds like you have another juicy role coming up with Lucy Liu, Stage Mother. That sounds oh, like I'm an dying amazing for that story. One. I'm dying for that one to come out. Tom Look Fitz, at this. Sarah. We can't even fit in all the movies you've got coming out. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard to say, do you have any advice for young actors today because your journey has not been... Not typical. A typical Not one, typical. but if you could... But I would say to young actors is, is a, one small thing, don't worry about your appearance so much. Don't be get obsessed with the way you look. I mean, even though you told me a story about someone getting sacked because they weren't handsome enough, who'd want to be in a show where they say that? Yeah. You, you'll find that the people that obsess about their looks are usually perfectly all right. I mean... I, I spent too much time obsessing about the, my appearance when I was a young woman and I look back now and think, you weren't so bad. Um, but also try and keep going. Try and don't let the disappointments discourage you to the point that you give up. You know, most people go for, say, one or two job interviews every five years. We go for 20 every year. And rejection after rejection can really be dispiriting. Mm. But you, you've got to just take it on the chin, pick yourself up, stay cheerful and just keep trying to get better. You know, there was a period when I was a young actor where I kept getting down to the last two 
and the other the other gal would get it and um and that can be really disappointing but that's the nature of the work nobody's gonna make it just like that even the best people yeah get disappointed yeah well Jackie Weaver you certainly made it (laughs) (laughs) and you're such an inspiration and I'm so lucky that I got to hear you tell your story thank you thank you Listening to Jackie, I was struck by the fact that there are so many different ways an Aussie can make it in Hollywood. And it's great to see that at age 72, she's never been busier. Until next time, that's all from Aussies in Hollywood. Aussies in Hollywood was presented by me, Jenny Cooney, and recorded in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production was by Nick Slater, and executive producer was Jenny Goggin. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the app or look me up on iTunes.